We have been on a journey for the past couple months with the Apostle John. He wrote three letters, and as we have looked at the first two, today we get to, 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 to build to the crescendo, his final letter. The first epistle, First John, what did we learn? Uh, we learned that, that we are called to love one another in the same way that Christ loved us. We learned that our fellowship is strengthened by our commitment to one another. And that if we claim to have fellowship with God, we must strive to be in fellowship with one another. Last week, we looked at 2 John, and we were given that challenge to never sacrifice love in the interest of proclaiming the truth. And at the same time, as we are proclaiming truth, we should never sacrifice truth in our commitment to loving other people. Today in 3 John, we are going to see John put a personal touch on all these ideas and concepts that he had laid out in the first two letters. He's going to name names in this one. He's going to compliment good behavior, and he's going to call out bad behavior. Why does he do that? Because John takes his own words very seriously, and so should we. John loves the church. John's committed to truth. And when he saw a problem in the church, he wasn't about to let things slide. So he wrote a letter to his buddy Gaius to commend him for his good leadership. And along the way, he also highlights unhealthy behavior that left unchecked would have brought this church to its knees. The most common picture that's used in scripture to describe the church is the body. Paul uses the body to describe spiritual gifts. And he says, just like the physical body is made up of many parts, so too is the body of Christ made up of many different people with many different gifts. And when a physical body is healthy and working together in harmony, that physical body is strong and it's vital and it's able to endure anything that comes its way. The same is true In a spiritual body, the body of Christ. A healthy church is a vibrant church. A healthy church is a church that has deep influence in its community. And anything that's a threat to that needs to be dealt with. Gaius was a man who was in really good spiritual condition. He was spiritually fit. And it showed in the way that he functioned in his church. He was a really good example of what a spiritually healthy person looks like. Look at how John addresses him. To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health physically. And that all may go well with you. Even as your soul is getting along well. Right off the bat. John prays for his buddy, for his physical and for his spiritual vitality. I think that phrase is interesting when he says, even your soul is getting along well. How did he know that? How did John know how Gaius' soul was getting along? Well, because reports had been sent back to John from his associates. And they told him how well Gaius was doing. One day, one of Tammy's friends knocked on the door and and I answered it. And she said, oh, did I wake you up? I'm like, no. She's like, oh, are you sick? 
I'm like, no, I've been awake for hours and I feel fine, but apparently I'm not looking so hot. Can I help you? (laughs) She (laughs) made some uh, interpretations. After looking at my physical appearance, she drew some conclusions. Uh, Wrong conclusions, but she did make them. And I really think the same is true. When you look at a person's spiritual fitness, when you look at a person's behavior, I believe you can draw some conclusions about their spiritual condition. What does a spiritually healthy person look like? Well, spiritually healthy people walk in the truth. John uses that term a couple times in those opening verses. He says, it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth. Telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. What was it that gave John such great joy? It was hearing that his friend Gaius and his spiritual children were walking in the church. You see, John had heard really good reports about Gaius' faithfulness in his community. His lifestyle showed that he was loving others well. It showed that he was applying all those principles that had been previously written about in 1st and 2nd John. Gaius was living consistently as a professing, professing follower of Christ. It was obvious to those who had observed Gaius's behavior. And they saw fit to go and report back to John. Things are going really well at the church. Gaius is there. It made John so happy because he hated religious hypocrisy As much as Jesus did. John saw Jesus regularly rebuking the religious elite. For saying they believed one thing. And yet acting in a completely contradictory manner. John wanted a church that was marked by men and women. Who were living in a consistent manner with their belief system. Because skeptics and seekers will always be repelled by the hypocrite. But they will be drawn to the person whose words and deeds are in alignment. Friends, walking in the truth is the best evidence that we actually know the truth. All of us do the things we do because we believe the things we believe. Our behaviors and our actions always come from our belief system. And it's critically important, it's vital that we believe the right things about who God is, that we believe the right things about what his word says. It's critical that we believe right things, but friends, that's not enough. We must also behave in a manner that's consistent with those things that we say we believe. The best example of this would be to look at the demons. The demons believe the right things about Jesus, right? Remember the, the, the story when, when Jesus approached the demoniac who was, was um, inhabited by the legion of demons? Remember what they said? They're like, you're tougher than we are, Jesus. You're you're stronger. You're more powerful than we are. Don't kill us. You see, the demons believed the right things about Jesus, but no one would ever suggest that the demons walked in the truth. Gaius did. His lifestyle gave evidence that not only did he believe true things about Christ, but those things showed up in his behavior. One of those outward expressions that he was walking in the truth was Gaius' willingness to welcome people into his home. We call that hospitality. 
Last week, Pastor Mark explained how um, the church community functioned in, in in the first century. Uh, missionaries, as they would travel from church to church, they didn't have a developed hotel and motel system. They couldn't hop online and find Expedia or Priceline to help them, you know, reserve a room when they got into town. They would actually show up in the town pretty vulnerable. They were reliant on the church opening their home, someone in the church opening their home so they could stay there. Otherwise, they might spend the night out on the streets. Gaius welcomed these kinds of folks without hesitation. He tells us in verse 5, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. You see, healthy people are hospitable. Maybe some of you have taken a spiritual gifts test. And on that test, it showed that you had the gift of hospitality. You're the kind of person that loves having people into your home. And when they get there, it's very likely that you have your essential oils diffuser with a beautiful blend of citrus scents wafting through your living room to greet your guest. You probably have a little hand towel folded neatly in the guest bathroom. And there's probably a charcuterie board with a variety of meats and cheeses and little toothpicks for your guests to enjoy as you spend the night in fellowship. We love those kind of people in the church. We need those kind of people in the church. But hospitality is more than just opening your home to someone. It also includes opening your heart to them. Tammy and I have the privilege of hosting one of our small groups in our home. And every Monday night as our friends assemble, there's this running joke about how much I love to vacuum before they get there. I'll tell you what, the greatest decision the vacuum industry ever made was going bagless. So you can see the fruits of your labor. (laughs) I love vacuuming. Now, obviously, I like getting the dog hair out of the carpet. But do you know why I really take time to vacuum? Because my friends are coming over. And I care about them. And I want to put my best foot forward So that when they arrive, they feel welcomed and they feel loved. A spiritually healthy person has a hospitable disposition motivated by a love for people, not just a clean house. They have a heart that says, you matter. I want a deeper relationship with you. Welcome. Let's share fellowship together. That's why we have a team of men who come down every Saturday morning And they clean the campus. They mow the lawn. They rake the leaves. And they make sure that this is an inviting, welcoming place. Because you're coming. That's the reason why we've got a security team that gets down here on Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. To make sure that the facility is safe and secure. Because you're coming. And it's why we have folks at the door to greet you with a warm smile and a firm handshake. To say, join us. We were expecting you welcome. These are signs of a spiritually healthy person, and they are signs of a spiritually healthy church. Not only was Gaius willing to welcome guests into his home, he was also taking part in something greater than just a short-term momentary act of kindness. He was taking part in the greater mission of the church. Verse 7 says, it was for the sake of of the name that they went out, they being those missionaries. 
receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Spiritually healthy people support the mission of the church. These visitors were there for the sake of the name. They weren't sightseeing. They weren't on vacation. They were traveling preachers. They were proclaimers of the good news, faithful servants who were following Christ's command to fulfill the great commission. So when Gaius opened his home and he opened his heart, he joined them in their mission. Friends, there's no place in the church for a lone ranger mentality. We weren't built that way. We were not meant to function in isolation. isolation. The arm simply cannot function disconnected from the body. The foot simply cannot function disconnected from the body. And neither can a follower of Christ function disconnected from community. At the end of verse 8, it says that we must work together for the truth. Why? Because a team mentality has a cumulative impact. When we see ourselves as a team, when we see ourselves as part of a community or part of a flock, we recognize that we are part of something bigger than just us. We gain a new perspective, and I believe we have greater influence and impact. Why? Because in the church, I believe that the whole is greater than the simple sum of the parts. When we serve together, when we live in harmony with one another, I believe that there's a supernatural thing that takes place that actually makes us stronger than we ever would be independently. Not only do we get more work done, but I believe we become a powerful influence to a watching world. That's why we do serve Salem. And frankly, if we didn't do serve Salem, I would argue that we are a bunch of hypocrites. Because we sit in here and we say, we're a church for the city. And if we stay in here, we're liars. It's only when we put that into practice, when we put our words and our deeds together that we have influence and we have impact beyond these walls and beyond this city block. One of the things I love about Upward is that we've got six different churches working together for the sake of the name, but we come from very different denominations. We have a conservative Baptist church. We have an American Baptist church. We have an evangelical church. We have two Nazarene churches and an Assemblies of God church. We have had effective, vital ministry in Salem for 18 years. We have seen hundreds of kids come to Christ because we are committed to honoring the name. We function as a team. And I believe that there is a cumulative impact of fruitful ministry. And I also believe people are watching and they have noticed that we have figured out how to play nicely with each other. Well, unfortunately, in this church, not everyone was playing nicely, right? Unfortunately, there was a fellow named Diotrephes who made it into the Bible for all the wrong reasons. This would not be somebody that when you run your ancestry.com and you chase it back and you're like, oh, Diotrephes, I guarantee you're not going back and bragging to all your buddies. Diotrephes got named for all the wrong reasons. Who was he? 
Well, he was a spiritually unhealthy man. He had established himself as a leader in the church, but again, for all the wrong reasons. If John were writing today, I am sure one of the words that he would use to describe Diotrephes would be toxic. John could not let this unhealthy behavior go unchecked. So he mentions Diotrephes by name. Was he trying to embarrass him? I don't think so. I don't think that was John's heart. Was John trying to shame Diotrephes? I don't think so. So why does John put Diotrephes on notice by using his name? I think he did it because John's a pastor. John was a a shepherd of God's flock of people. And one of the primary responsibilities that every shepherd has is to protect his sheep. There was an intruder. There was a danger in the flock. And this shepherd, this pastor had to do something to defend the sheep. That's why every shepherd had two tools. They had a rod and they had a staff. That staff was used to be kind and gentle and tender to the little sheepies. But that's the technical term. I studied shepherdry. Um, But the rod, the rod was not to be nice and kind and sweet. That rod was there to defend the sheep against intruders. A coyote, a wolf, a snake. That rod was there to thwap the intruders. And John needed to thwap Another technical term? (laughs) Uh, uh, To defend the sheep against diatrophies. Listen to the way diatrophies is described in verse 9. I wrote to the church, but diatrophies who loves to be first will not welcome us. Spiritually unhealthy people love to be first. And you've met diatrophies, haven't you? He's the one who always seems to have a story that's a little bit better than yours. If you caught an eight pound fish, he caught a 10 pounder. If you went on vacation to California, he went to Paris. If you were recently named the head of the, uh, the PTA, she informs you that she was the president of her sorority Um, She was homecoming queen, and she's been voted mom of the year for the past three decades. You've all met Diotrephes, and we've all been Diotrephes. Think back to when you were in kindergarten. Remember lining up? Remember all the jostling and jockeying and elbows that were thrown so that you could be first in line? Oh, remember that feeling? There was so much chaos that took place that teachers started getting really smart. You know what they started doing? We're going to name a line leader. If you're going to call a kindergartner a line leader, you might as well name them Supreme Grandmaster of the Universe. (laughs) Because being first is so awesome, isn't it? The power is intoxicating. It's a glorious feeling. Because you were first. It's called pride, my friends. And everything I know now, I learned in kindergarten, right? Pride is an insidious sickness that invades our soul. And left unchecked, it can ruin relationships and it can destroy a church. 
That's why John takes it so seriously. John recognized the damage that a person like Diotrephes could do to a community of believers. And he was prepared to call a spade a spade. You see, Diotrephes had become a tyrant in the church. He let his influence and power go to his head. And as soon as his head started to swell, his heart got hard. He loved seeing his name in the church minutes. He loved hearing his voice at the business meeting. And he loved being seen as the big man on campus. Every one of these attributes is the complete antithesis of how Christ acted. Every one of these attributes are the exact antithesis of how Jesus calls us to act. And I wonder if when John heard of Diotrephes' desire to be first, I wonder if he had flashbacks to those times when he and the disciples used to argue over who would be greatest in the kingdom. And I wonder if in those moments, John ever looked over at Jesus and saw a disappointed look on his face. I wonder if when John heard of the pride of Diotrephes, if he remembered the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said, if you want to be first in the kingdom, be last. Then I have no doubt That when John heard of the pride of Diotrephes, that John remembered that time when Jesus got down on his knees and washed his feet. Jesus being the most important person in the room got low and served. He didn't puff out his chest in his desire to be recognized and to be served. No, he got lower because getting lower is the way to get higher in the kingdom of God. You see, pride always dethrones Christ and elevates self. Pride got Satan kicked out of heaven. Pride got Adam and Eve banished from the garden. And pride got Diotrephes a stern rebuke because he was more concerned about self-advancement than he was about advancing the gospel. Spiritually unhealthy people love to be first. They need to be heard. And in a loving way, they need to be held accountable. Because pride is always easier to see in someone else than it is to see in ourselves. Not only does pride cause people to have an inflated view of themselves, but pride also manifests itself in the way an unhealthy person speaks. Verse 10, John goes on to say, So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing. So at this point, Diotrephes is probably getting a little bit nervous because not only did he get his name read in public, now John says, I'm coming and we're going to have a conversation. When I come, I will call attention to what Diotrephes is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Spiritually unhealthy people have untamed tongues. Apparently, Diotrephes had begun spreading rumors and lies about John and his associates He was making false charges and and making up these grandiose claims about John that were simply untrue and unfounded. Diotrephes talked a big game. He was probably charismatic. He was surely bombastic and likely had a larger-than-life personality. But he was a man of small character. In my experience, harsh words are nothing more than a mask to disguise insecurity. What does an injured animal do? 
An injured animal will always bare their teeth and show their claws because they're scared and they're vulnerable. Sometimes people behave the same way. They say harsh things and they make bold statements as a defense mechanism to hide their own insecurity. When an unhealthy person has nothing of worth to say, they will say whatever serves their purpose with no regard for the truth. A person with an inflated view of themselves will assassinate anyone's character or reputation as long as it reflects well on them. An insecure person will resort to name-calling, profanity, and blame-shifting when confronted or challenged intellectually. Why? Because harsh words are simply a facade to cover up insecurity. Spreading lies, malicious slander, and false accusations are tools of unhealthy, self-aggrandizing people who are afraid to speak truth. Because sometimes the truth is just hard to admit. Sometimes the truth is that traveling pastor is actually more eloquent than I am. Sometimes somebody else catches the bigger fish. And sometimes you're simply wrong. And to admit that would take humility. James says that an untamed tongue is like a forest fire set ablaze by one small spark. Diotrephes was setting off wildfires all over the church and people were getting burned. He was an unhealthy person and John needed to get him under control before he torched the entire church. So he calls him out by name and says enough because he had a pastor's heart. And just when you think Diotrephes couldn't get any worse, he does. You see, slandering John wasn't enough. Verse 10 goes on to say, he even refuses to welcome other believers. Diotrephes was the anti-Gaius. Gaius was known for his hospitality, for his, his open home and his open heart to, to welcome and greet strangers. And now we can see that a spiritually unhealthy person is inhospitable. Diotrephes rejected these newcomers because in his mind, they posed a threat to his position. He couldn't have someone else getting the attention that he so desperately craved. What if this traveling preacher is more handsome than I am? What if this traveling preacher is funnier than I am? What if he's more charismatic than me? Well, that would threaten his standing in the church. So his best plan was to simply Get rid of the threat. And isn't that exactly what happened to Jesus? The Pharisees were the religious elite with all the answers until Jesus showed up. The Pharisees were the righteous ones that everyone wanted to be like when they grew up until Jesus showed up. The Pharisees didn't like Jesus crashing their party, so they got rid of the problem. That's how Diotrephes treated newcomers to his church. He was harsh and unwelcoming. He ruled with an iron fist, not with a soft heart and open arms. Friends, the church is supposed to be a welcoming place. And rather than greeting people at the door with a smile, Diotrephes assigned himself the role of bouncer, turning people away with an evil eye and a harsh word. 
sadly, sometimes the greatest threat to the church comes from within, not necessarily from outside persecution. Why did John publicly condemn Diotrephes by name? Because he was dangerous. His conduct was antithetical to the teaching of Jesus. And when people are inhospitable, when we act like religious tyrants, when we have unwelcoming hearts and untamed tongues, we actually align ourselves more closely with the enemy than we do with our Savior. After this stern rebuke of Diotrephes and his unhealthy behavior, John ends this letter with a very simple yet profound statement. He tells Gaius in closing, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. A follower of the way rejects evil and follows that which is good. Before the the church um, was described as, as Christians, folks that believed in Jesus, that believed he was the Messiah and wanted to commit their life to following him, they were called followers of the way. I love that title. I kind of wish we were still called that. Where'd that come from? Well, that come from the day that, that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when people saw followers of this man named the way, they got that title. Followers of the way. John was part of that group. He followed Jesus, the way. And he learned how to treat people from Jesus himself. John was part of the team that Jesus told, I want you to build my church. John saw people, John saw Jesus reject evil and follow the will of the Father all the way to the cross. You see, John knew the way to live because he knew the way. And the way of the Christian really isn't that difficult. It's spelled out for us in one verse. Reject evil and follow what is good. Put simply, we could also say, don't be like Diotrephes. Be like Gaius. That's pretty simple. Friends, we've got to be careful about the company we keep. We need to choose our mentors wisely. When shepherds are out leading their flock of sheep... We know the goal, we know the idea is that all of those sheep would follow along behind the shepherd in a nice orderly fashion. Well, it doesn't always happen that way. Because sometimes there are sheep that are so far back, they can't even see the shepherd. So you know what they do? They follow the sheep right in front of them. And sometimes, if they happen to get behind a wandering sheep or a naughty sheep, they walk off the edge of a cliff. Sometimes the sheep get behind a goat and they get into real trouble. Sometimes, sometimes a sheep gets behind another sheep that's got a really, really good view of the shepherd. And that sheep is safe. 
that sheep is now under the care and the protection and the guidance of the good shepherd. Friends, we've got to be careful about those that we follow. We can only imitate others to the extent that they are imitating Christ. We've got to reject that which is evil and only do that which is good. We've all heard the idioms, right? We know that if you lay down with dogs, you're going to get fleas, right? We know that bad company corrupts good morals. I like how Solomon says it in Ecclesiastes 10.2. He says, dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. Don't let dead flies get around you because they're going to make that perfect perfume, that perfect oil stink. We've got to be really careful about the company we keep because if we're going to be spiritually healthy people, we need to follow spiritually healthy people. We must reject evil. We must put off selfish pride and vain ambition. We must tame our tongues so that we don't wound people. And we must reject the urge to shut people out that we wrongly see as a threat. Instead, we ought to follow that which is good. Our model is Jesus. He showed us the way to live. He was the good shepherd. And we demonstrate our love for Christ when we demonstrate our love for others. You see, our actions will always reflect our values. Our behavior will always illuminate our attitudes. Diotrephes dishonored the Lord because he dishonored those that were doing the Lord's work. His pride was more important than his mission. But Gaius had a good reputation because he lived in alignment with the truth. He lived in alignment with Christ and his mission for the church. Gaius demonstrated his love for Christ in the way that he demonstrated his love for Christ's bride, the church. Nothing has really changed in the last 2,000 years. We have the same calling today to reject that which is evil and to walk in the truth because that is good. Let's take that challenge seriously, church. Gaius was an ordinary man who took his calling very seriously. And because of that, he had deep influence in his community and in his church. Think of the influence we can have in our community and in our church if we continue to commit ourselves to demonstrating our love for Christ in the way we demonstrate our love for others. That's the kind of church I want to be part of. And it is the kind of church that I'm part of. Let's keep it that way.